This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we're delighted to welcome a tireless warrior for the great cause of freedom. Harmeet Delon is the founder of Delon Law Group. Her focus is in commercial litigation, employment law, First Amendment rights, and election law matters. Harmeet Delon is also the founder of the Center for American Liberty, and we encourage you to visit their website, libertycenter.org, libertycenter.org. Harmeet is known as a great champion of the First Amendment, and we would like to clearly communicate the following disclaimer. Harmid Dillon is not providing any legal advice to our listening audience. And on this note, we certainly are delighted to have Harmid join us on America's Roundtable. Welcome, Harmid. Welcome, Harmid. Happy to be back with you again. Thank you. Uh, Hermit, uh, this past week you testified in the U.S. Congress on election integrity and how to secure safe, free, and fair elections. And in your testimony, you shared about the post-election poll by the California Institute of Technology, which found that 39% of respondents nationwide did not have confidence in the 2020 election results. In the most recently proposed election laws, HR1 and S1, legislators are proposing to remove the ID requirement for voting and are purportedly interested in black and minority voters who legislators claim are not able to obtain the voter ID. Well, 69% of black and 82% of other minority voters expressed support for voter ID laws nationwide. Harmeet, what are your observations about these unsubstantiated claims by Democrats and what are they trying to achieve? Well, the Democrats called several learned witnesses to testify, and these are professors and activists who have authored studies. And, you know, they did present data that pointed to what I would call correlation, i.e., you know, sort of rates of minority voting that are lower than rates of uh, majority voting, and then assuming that that somehow correlates to voter ID. Whereas I think that's that would be a fallacy. Uh, you know, the fact that people in our country are not voting, that comes from a number of different reasons, including some of the ones that I stated in my testimony. There is decreased voter confidence in the outcome of elections that's driven by lack of integrity in our elections, lack of consistency. Maybe the candidates are not appealing uh, in those communities, and there are many reasons why people don't vote. Uh, but the assumption that people of color in 2021 are less capable of obtaining ID uh, with, with some structural exceptions, such as perhaps Native uh, American reservations, tribal lands, I think is, is a fallacy. And as for those places like, for example, some states, Native lands where it may be more difficult, surely the government should work on solving that problem, making it free, providing fair and safe and easy ways to get ID rapidly and without cost. Uh, another example that we heard about, which did trouble me, was that 
perhaps Puerto Rican uh, identification was not being recognized when those people moved to the states. Those are solvable problems, but the resolution should not be what Democrats are hoping, which is to simply ban voter ID throughout the United States. And I'll add that our United States Constitution reserves to the states the rights to make and pass and enforce laws regarding elections with very few exceptions. And so any such laws are going to be challenged if they're passed, and and hopefully it will not become necessary to do that. And what are your other observations from the hearings that you participated in? Well, you know, Democrats are very focused on not, not prioritizing knowing who the voters are and on decreasing the integrity and security of our elections. And I I think that's very unfortunate. Uh, You know, where we did find common ground is that there was testimony regarding how important it is for voters, American voters, who may be more comfortable communicating in other languages to have access to language-specific voting materials, voter registration materials, ballots. I agree with that. You know, Republican National Lawyers Association, of which I'm the national co-chair, agrees with that. It's not controversial. So there are areas of commonality here. I think everybody should learn English, but I think that if you're more comfortable in another language and there's a significant population of people like that in a particular precinct or particular county, then we should accommodate that. Carmita, after we learned about the fact that you would testify on election integrity in the U.S. Congress, and we learned it from actually private post, we tried to find more information about it via Google search engine, and you cannot find it. You can't find it through a simple Google search. You have to use an alternative search engine, and then you see it immediately. In this case, the big tech continues to condition us for what we are supposed to know, what are we supposed to see, how we're supposed to think, and how how should we form our opinions? Harmit, as the First Amendment lawyer defending free speech, why have we not seen any significant results against the big tech censorship and shadow banning of content which is favoring the U.S. Constitution and the rule of law principles while allowing the opposing views, including vile anti-Semitic social media posts recently? It's a complicated issue. It's certainly not an established norm in the United States today that speech over private social media companies is governed by the First Amendment. In fact, all the case law is in the opposite direction. While it's attractive to solve that problem with a First Amendment solution, we are very far from the legal groundwork to do that. Only one member of the United States Supreme Court, Justice Thomas, has even hinted at that. And so you have to look to other tools that are at hand. For example, consumer choice. Because we have had very flaccid enforcement of our antitrust laws over the past many presidents, we have virtual monopoly and oligopoly with power concentrated in the hands of a couple of corporations. I mean, many of your listeners here today are you know, probably nodding while they're using Gmail accounts. Gmail is free, but so are many other email providers, ProtonMail and others, or you can increase your security by paying a small amount to have a email account. So if we are voluntarily like sheep, using Google products, using Google browser, using Google search engine, using Google email, using Google for video hosting on YouTube and browsing, then we are signing our own warrants of doom for our lack of speech protection. I think we we do have choices. I use DuckDuckGo Go as my search engine, for example. I use other browsers. I do not use Google products. And I would recommend that to people is like to vote with their own feet. For example, also, if you have the ability to buy a book from a bookstore or other source than Amazon, you might choose to help increase freedom that way. So I think those are things that each citizen can do. 
Harmeet, you have been an outspoken spokesperson for conservative ideas and issues, and you've also relayed concerns about implementing reforms within the center-right structures and also calling for greater accountability of its leaders. And over the past few months, we've received direct feedback from engaged stakeholders uh, from within America's conservative movement, and specifically from states like Michigan. In fact, Nigel Farage uh, was on a tour in states including Michigan and Mississippi engaging with the grassroots and others within the ranks are wondering if its leaders on the center-right are up to the task when in certain battleground states one notices a divide between the grassroots, the decent and hard-working citizen taxpayers, and the leadership that some perceive to be in the high towers. Harmit, what is your message to both the decent, hard-working conservatives, part of America's grassroots, and the top leadership brass in the high towers as we move closer to 2022 and 2024? Well, I may be an outlier here, but I actually think that we could use replacing the majority of the members of our legislature, Republicans, as being sort of, you know, not in touch with the American people. And that is a function of longevity. Uh, You know, it's uh, ironic the way our system is set up is the longer that you're there in Congress, the more power you have. But at the same time, the more out of touch you are with your constituents. You know, many members of Congress move to D.C. with their young families and, you know, become occupied, if you will, by the uh, establishment, the the elite there, the, the lobbyists, the, you know, industrial complex, the, the potential future jobs, and they forget about their constituents. The best, the, the most exciting members of Congress are typically the ones who've been there the least amount of time, and, you know, some of them turn out well, some of them don't. So, not just those two constituencies, but I would speak to the donor class out there is, you know, it's tempting to just keep writing checks to the same tired people, or you could uh, try to recruit and support young talent who are making waves. Uh, and by young, I don't mean young in age, but young in Congress who are making waves there and who are not yet captive to these special interests. So this is a problem across the board. You know, both parties have this problem, but I'm only concerned about the Republican side. I was never a fan of term limits. I wish I could have voted for Ronald Reagan a third term. But today, I think they may become necessary. Um, You know, the pros and cons of that, though, staff becomes more powerful in a term limit situation. So I'm not sure there's that many solutions to this problem other than individual voters demanding change, uh, pressuring uh, party unity on certain issues and voting people out for better Republicans when we had the chance to do that. Indeed. And moving our focus to the international arena, Senator Bernie Sanders has taken to the airwaves and over the weekend, past weekend, talking about the defunding of America's support for Israel. And according to the Wall Street Journal, I quote, Senator Bernie Sanders is trying to force a vote on a resolution aimed at halting a $735 million weapon sale to Israel, unquote. And in the House, we have found out the representatives Ocasio-Cortez of New York and Tlaib of Michigan and others are pushing a similar resolution to stop the arms sale to Israel. And in April, the Biden administration agreed to sending over $235 million of U.S. taxpayer funds to a corrupt structure run by the Palestinian Authority and also distributed by an unaccountable United Nations. As we notice a change in the left support for Israel, America's long-standing democratic ally in the Middle East, how concerned should we, the American people, be about the left abandoning a partnering rule-of-law nation in a difficult part of the world for an appeasement with Iran, a state sponsor of terrorism and a backer of known terrorist group Hamas, which attacked Israel over the past two weeks? 
Well, we should be very concerned about it, but I don't think that the left is doing anything different in this episode than it has in prior years. We saw uh, President Obama hand over billions in pallets of cash to Iran uh, unjustifiably and, you know, sort of hiding it, doing it in the dead of night. Democrats have been no, no friends of Israel and, and, and they have been friendly to Iran for, for many decades. I mean, typically you did have Jewish members who were Democrats be more pro-Israel, but even that is fading. And even those who are, like Chuck Schumer, are cowed by political realities in their own jurisdictions where they are concerned about primary challenges, like Schumer is concerned about a primary challenge from squad member AOC. We never had a Hamas caucus, if you will, in the United States Congress or Senate. We have that now. We have multiple members of the uh, United States Congress, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, uh, Ayanna Presley, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They may mouth the words anti-Semitism and Islamophobia at the same in the same sentence to try to pay lip service uh, to the problem. But in fact, those are not the same problem. They're very different problems. They're both real problems. Well, one involves our national security in the Middle East and that of our greatest ally there and, and frankly, world peace. And one is a domestic problem that needs to be punished domestically. So I think these are casual conflation of all these different things and Americans either being distracted with COVID and their own jobs and, you know, economic hassles and not paying attention is a very dangerous time for world security right now. And as you mentioned, the world security would just like to briefly address the unprecedented move that by Belarus corrupt government, which this past week diverted the plane carrying a journalist, a Belarus dissident who was critical of its authoritarian regime. So the plane was flying from Athens in Greece to Vilnius in Lithuania when Belarusian air traffic control falsely told the pilots that there was a bomb on board, after which the plane was escorted by a MiG fighter to the capital of Belarus, Minsk. Meet. This air piracy is unprecedented and dangerous, and its roots are in Belarus's dictator suppressing the freedom of speech. The journalist faces a death penalty in Belarus. And in your recent testimony, you quoted Ronald Reagan when he said, If we lose freedom here, there is no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. Hermit, you reminded us of the importance of freedom in America. And the timing of this Belarus incident coincides with Biden administration's weakness and complicity with neighboring Russia. What are your thoughts? We have elected in this country a very weak joke of a president. And, you know, Democrats control the House and the Senate. And that's the situation that we're in. Dictators around the world are seeing and taking advantage of that. We are seeing Russians, you know, hackers, probably with, almost certainly with the tacit consent of the government there, hijacking pipelines and holding them ransom. And we are seeing mockery of our country around the world. China has made a joke of our country with respect to this COVID disease and our response to it. Our allies are on their knees around the world uh, as a result of COVID. And, you know, we have a very weak leadership. And so I think it's a bad time. But how do you deal with this particular problem? Well, you know, one way is people who deal with Belarus, countries who deal with Belarus, holding them accountable for this. This is outrageous. If I were an airline, I would really reconsider servicing that market because of this type of deception and thuggery that is extrajudicial. Uh, you know, there are judicial norms for issuing warrants and uh, getting extradition of 
individuals, uh, this is not the way. False bomb threats is not the way. And so this will really probably be more of a European problem to enforce this because there aren't a lot of flights between the United States and Belarus. But I think that is a domestic regional issue that needs to be dealt with there. We are joined this weekend by Harmeet Delon. She's the founder of Delon Law Group, and her focus is in commercial litigation, employment law, First Amendment rights, and election law matters. Harmeet Delon is also the founder of the Center for American Liberty, and we encourage you to visit their website, libertycenter.org, libertycenter.org. Thank you so much for joining us on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. Thank you indeed, Harmeet. Thank you, Harmeet. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorch, the economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.